hear his command. And when he tells me to tell you, sit in the front row. Amen. I just expect it to happen. That's right. So when I get challenged, like what happened last week, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm, not put, I'm not putting anybody in hell. It's just when I get challenged, I, I get surprised. <laughs> I, the Lord told me to tell you. And someone's just like saying, I'm not going to do that. It's a head scratcher. He's like, well, don't you want to do what God wants you to do? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not about a little short, fat guy making everybody do what he says. Yeah. You know, it's about an awesome man of God. Amen. Oh, thank you, honey. Oh, thank you. I, got, I got one support on that one. She's probably thinking, oh, I almost forgot. I got a support of this. My wife. You got an awesome man of God who's hearing from God, who's simply relaying the commands of God. That's all it is. Praise God. Now, just to let you know, I'm not necessarily going to make you sit on the front row every Wednesday night. I mean, over the last month, we, we don't even know what we're doing in the midweek, do we? We're doing this, we're doing that, we don't know where we're coming, going. Hey. That's why we got to pay attention to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, my, my group texts are not very clear sometimes. But what should that prompt you to do? At the very least, call me up, text me. Hey, can you clarify, Pastor? That's fair enough, right? Mm-hmm. Got a lot on my mind. Right? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't have much hair. Okay, you know, you, you know what they say. Busy street doesn't doesn't grow moss, good grass, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't grow grass on a busy street. Okay. Got a lot on my mind. Sometimes I, I'm thinking and I know exactly what I want to convey to you, and I'm typing out a message, and part of me thinks that's clear, or sometimes I think I've said everything I needed to say, and uh, it's not. And people read it and go, hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> Come on, we live in an age of communication, folks. Pick up your phones, call me back. Or personal message me. By the way, just because I message you on a group text doesn't mean you have to message back on the group text. Yeah. You can always get back to me personally, okay? It's, it's not a problem. I'm not going, oh, what are these people texting me for? It's just not the way it works, okay? But I know it's getting late, so I need to get into what we need to do here. But God is good. Amen. God is speaking. God is doing things. So I'm not going to make you sit in the front row. I'll, I'll give you another thing. If you bring a bunch of people in here, we won't all fit in the front row. So that's a good way for us to move on back to the back, you know. Uh, Move back to the back because we've got no choice, okay? Not because you have a choice. My dad put something in me years and years ago. He always said, "Ah, I don't like people sitting in the back, you know. means you're backing up. Well, listen, there's something to it, folks. not trying to embarrass anybody. There's something to it because when we go to the sports games, we want to sit in the front or as close to the front as we can. When we go to certain venues, we want to sit as close to the front as we can. You know, when it comes to church, we like to sit back. Why? Preacher might spit on us. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, is my, is my breath that bad? Can you smell my breath? Okay. So it must not be that bad if you can't smell it, right? Okay. I took a shower today. You smell all right now? All right, good. Philippians 4. I'm going to talk about something we've talked about many times. Many times. We'll talk about it today. Many, many times. Lord God, have your way in this word. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Everybody okay? Amen. Everybody still love me? Absolutely. Even with all my quirky ways mm-hmm. and all my weird little things and all my toe stepping. Hey, you know, I, I think back to stuff, some of the stuff my dad used to do. I'm like, I'm not half as bad. <laughs> I'm not half as bad. He used to do things. Come on, you ladies remember. He used to do things that we, what? What are you doing? You know? <laughs> Uncomfortable things. And maybe I'm finally starting to be a little bit more like him. I don't know. My, my real goal is to be more like Jesus, though. Amen. We, we know the scripture in uh, Philippians 4.13. Well, we can all quote it by heart. I can't do all things. 
Through Christ, which strengthened me. I can do all things. I said we. It's Paul saying it to the Philippians. I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengthened me. Let's all give Paul a hand clap. Amen. Good for Paul. Good for you. What about me? <laughs> all right. What about me? Paul said he can do all things. That's great. He's been dead for 1900 years. Yeah. How's that helping me? Okay, it's not helping me much. Mm-hmm. Well, I, is it any stretch of, a, of an imagination to think that we can apply this same scripture to our lives? Yeah. Is that too far, a stretch of an imagination? No, no. Now, when I was in the Baptist church, uh, we would read Isaiah chapter 6, and we'd see the angels say, Holy, holy, holy. And my Bible teacher said, they said, Holy, 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 for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that is a stretch. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing in that Bible that says that. There's nothing in that Bible that says they're saying holy, 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 one for each person of the Trinity. There's not a single verse that even hints towards that. But they go went ahead and taught it as fact. There's a lot of things people teach as fact that sometimes you can't even find in the Bible at all. You know, I grew up believing, believing with all my heart, believing that they used to tie a rope around the high priest's foot so that when he went into the holy place, if he should screw up and die, that they could pull him out without having to die. Do we find one passage in the Bible that says that? Not a single one. There's no hint. There's no illusion. There, there's no pattern anywhere to that. Now, okay, so let's go back into, say, the rabbinic histories, the Mishnahs and the Midrashes and all that. Is there even a par- parable level teaching in the, in the rabbinic writings that say they used to tie a rope around the high priest's foot? Now, you may not know that, but I do. The answer is no. There's no rabbi that ever even taught it. So why did, where did that come from? Where, where did we learn that? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Somewhere, someone got a big idea and said, hmm, well, that's, a, that's an austere event. It's only a high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement that can even go into that room. I mean, my goodness, Uzzah can't even touch the ark without dropping dead. Mm-hmm. They, uh, Nadab and Abihu, rather, they, uh, they brought fire that was not off the altar. They, they got fried, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And they were the high priest's own sons. Yeah. And by the way, I, I also grew up with these little blue, well, not little, but these hardbound blue Bible story books. You remember, you remember those, right? Yeah. And uh, it shows Nadab and Abihu like dancing like frivolously, like, yeah, we don't even care. You know, I don't really, I, that's the way you're looking at me like, what on earth are you talking about? But it's just a Bible book. It's just a storybook for kids. And I grew up thinking these boys were some of the worst kids in the world. You know, they, they just they didn't take their job seriously at all. No wonder they got their silly carcasses fried. Well, when I read the actual story, it never hints that they were being frivolous or not taking their job serious. They just did something wrong, and they got zapped. So someone else reading that said, wow, now what's gonna, what would happen if the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies and he does something wrong because it's easy to die in there, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And he goes in there and dies. How are they going to get him out? Because anybody else that tries to go in there, because no one else is the high priest. Well, if the high priest dies, immediately his eldest son becomes high priest, whether he wants to be or not. Mm-hmm. So what, is he going to go in there and drag his dad out? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, someone came up with a brilliant idea. Well, maybe they tied a rope around his foot so they could drag him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in history, no pattern. I mean, and honestly, what kind of pattern would that be? Come boldly before the throne of grace, but make sure you've got a rope around your foot because you might just end up dying. You know? But really, what pattern would it be where Jesus Christ himself, who is the apostle and high priest of our profession, goes before the, the throne of the mighty God and yes, before you're wondering, yes, I do believe in the oneness of God. And he goes before the throne of heaven, if you will, the throne of the spirit, the throne of the creator God in his fleshly form. And he's worried about, you know, his own spirit frying him. 
Would that, does that sound like it should be a pattern? No. Now, I'm taking a long time to discuss this. I'm just saying it's easy. It's easy to get wrong ideas in the Bible. I mean, sometimes they're not even written in there. I'm saying all that just to say, is it too much of a stretch to think that we can apply, I can do all things to Christ with strength with me? To myself or to yourself. Is that too much of a stretch? Anybody think that? No. I don't either. I didn't really need to take the five minutes I took to talk about this because we kind of instinctively, by the Spirit, we know I can do all things. That's a scripture I can't apply to myself, right? We kind of know that. I didn't need to go through that. But sometimes we do because sometimes that insidious voice of the flesh says, well, it's good for Paul and it's good for Jesus, but what about me? Remember the seven sons of Sceva? Trying to cast devils out? And what did the devil say? Whoa, Paul, I know Paul. And I know Jesus. But I don't know you. Uh, kick those boys all down the street. And left them naked. I don't know how that happened. But he, he, he beat them up so bad. And he tore their clothes off. <laughs> you know. Should have known better, shouldn't they? Yeah. You know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for him, actually. But because they, they went in there with this idea of, I adjure thee by the name of Jesus Christ who Paul preaches. Now come out of him. And the devil say, you know what? I know Paul. And I definitely know Jesus. Uh, but I don't know you. See, a lot of times we approach the scripture that way. Well, this is good for Paul and this is good for Jesus. But I wonder if it's good for me. Folks, it's good for us. Mm-hmm. Years and years ago, I remember I was right, right in there in my office, and my mom, my mom was in a snit about something. Um, she was fighting with her sisters. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> but there was one more sister, not just these two. Okay, she was fighting with her sisters about too much TV or internet or something, and I was trying to play, excuse me, devil's advocate. Okay. I wasn't calling you ladies the devil, okay? But I was trying to be like a mom, calm down, okay? The internet can be a very good tool. And uh, I said, TV in and of itself is not bad. And she said, well, she got her finger right in my face. Now, she's in my office now, but she's also my mom. So how do you, you know? No, no, the, good, the thing about my mom is she did submit to me as her pastor. She really did. And uh, uh, that's hard to do because I was her own natural son. She changed my diapers. My goodness. I mean, and she's submitting to my authority over her when she naturally should be in authority over me. You know, um, at least a portion of my life, she was in authority over me. But she's sitting in my office and she's pointing her finger right in my face. Well, what do you do with the scripture that says I was set no evil thing before my eyes? (laughs) Oh, she had me. (laughs) <laughs> if, if you knew my mom she got that little chin lift yeah. <laughs> you know like that, that, that just settled that I said yeah that's great that's David <laughs> yeah okay and she looked at me uh-huh. like like what, what do you mean Okay, David made that agreement with God. Job did the same thing. I have made a covenant, an agreement with my eyes that I will not look upon a young lady. A young, I mean, anybody remember that in Job? Mm-hmm. And by the way, that was Job that said that. That wasn't one of his three friends or Elijah. Okay, that was Job that said, I have made an agreement with my eyes. I will not look. Well, that's fine. It's not a sin, by the way, to look. So you, you men, uh, don't go looking. But it's not necessarily a sin Okay, mm-hmm. it is a good thing that Job and David did. They said, I'm not going to set wicked things before my eyes. Mm-hmm. And if whatever you're looking at in, on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, on, on a TV screen, on a movie screen, reading in a book, looking at a magazine or whatever other device, even if it's just a billboard, you can't even hardly go down uh, the highway these days without seeing a dope bookstore and some slutty looking girl on, on, on a, you know, 50 feet high and a billboard and it's like come on you know I, i'm just trying to drive here and it's and it's right in a way so that you know you may they, they they have done the science on this make sure you see these images mm-hmm. coming at you 
Some lonely businessman driving from point A to point B sees, oh, get some thinking. Wife's not around. Family's not around. I'm a little bit lonely tonight. Right? Mm -hmm. That's how it happens. That's why it's there. Right. Where was I going with that? Yes, David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. So you know what I do when I'm driving down the highway? I, you can't help but notice it. Oh, oh, don't look. Literally, just don't look. We have the power to not do that. Yeah. We have the ability to not look. Just don't look. Okay? Don't look, careful. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about? Don't worry about it. It's too late. Anyway, Job said, I made an agreement with myself. See, it's not a sin to look at something that is evil. But we do have a commandment out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 not to love. Well, it's not even a command. It just tells you what love does. It, it says love does not rejoice in iniquity. Right. It does not rejoice in something that's evil. So we can, we can say, well, it's not a sin to look. Well, it's a sin to lust. It's a sin to commit adultery in your heart. Yep. Okay? And that's, that's on any scope. I just happen to be picking that one idea. So anyway, talking to my mom, she's like, well, what do you do with the Scripture? So what do I do with the Scripture? I, I look at that Scripture and say, that's some good advice, David. That's a good way to live, David. But it's not a command. It's not a law. There's nothing that says you can't have, say, a computer or a TV. And these days, you know, did, did, did God, do you think that God knew that one day we'd have smartphones? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That we could connect to any, mm -hmm. any file or good thing in the universe? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he knew. Yeah. So things that we just carry around in our pockets. Oh, about a gazillion times more powerful than any computer system that sent man to the moon. You know, right at our fingertips to do anything. It, it travels at the speed of the light, of light, back and forth to satellites to communicate with you. I mean, what, what kind of power we have right in our hands. Did God know that we'd someday have? Yes, Absolutely. he did. Absolutely. Yeah. Did he, did, uh, did, does anybody, did ever, anybody ever go to the store to buy one of these devices and feel like, oh, mm, I don't know. I don't want to, I want to make sure I'm not sinning before God. Does anybody really ever feel that realistically? No. Now, you should ask God before you buy, because, you know, the, 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 how, phone, how, uh, how expensive are the, the current iPhones? About a thousand bucks? Maybe more? Eleven hundred? Yeah. I mean, before you make an eleven hundred dollar purchase for a communication device, maybe you should talk to Jesus first. And say, Lord, can I, can I have that? Or should I get an Android instead, you know? Should I get the Samsung, you know? Or should I get the whatever? I don't even know the other brands. Apple. Uh... Well, well I, I have an Apple, yeah. I mean, what, what's the alternative to Apple, right? You know, uh, is there a cheaper something I can get? And what should I get? And what do I need? And how can I serve? You know, all this different stuff, right? Everybody with me? I mean, we should. We should be making inquiries. But has anybody who has gone out and bought an iPhone or any other kind of smartphone felt like you might be sinning? Probably not, right? I, this is an open discussion. You can answer. Have you felt, did, did you feel like you were sinning when you got it? No. Anybody? I felt like I was sinning, but I felt like there was a responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is my point. So what, what am I, why are we talking about this? Why am I belaboring this point? Well, it's because there's a lot of times that we do go to the scripture and we read it. And we take some, certain scriptures like, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And we say, oh, you know, we make religion out of it. Mm -hmm. But really, I mean, there, there's so many things out there I, that, that, you know, we can just absolutely hinder ourselves and the work of God. You know, I, I will say no wicked things before I, then, then don't drive down a street that has a bar in it. Yeah, right. Because, or, or you're going to have to put up blinders and narrow your vision and that, that could cause traffic problems. I mean, uh, I, don't, don't even go out in public these days the way the women are dressing. Uh, especially in the summertime, don't go down anywhere near any kind of water. Do not go down to Newport or Scarborough or any place like that in Rhode Island next summer because, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to, guys especially, you're going to lose your salvation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, 
I haven't been to a beach in so long, like an actual swimming beach. You know, but before that, this is like a good 15, 16 years ago, we went out with the Carlsons to one, uh, a beach out in the Cape to do some fishing. We had to use the bathroom at the swimming beach, and I'm walking behind this 15-year-old girl that looks like a model with this teeny tiny little bikini. And I'm just like, Lord God, help me to stay saved. And I'm trying to look down, and that's not really working. I'm trying to look up. It's a bright day. I'm trying to just like blind my way through into the bathroom. You know, I'm not even trying to be funny here. It's just like, Lord, I, everywhere you look, there is flesh. Everywhere. Everywhere. No, you shouldn't have gone to the beach. Well, what am I supposed to do? Go out in the woods? You know, I, you know yeah, as a guy, I could do that. It's probably illegal. Uh, right? Especially so close to a public beach. No, there's a bathroom there. Go to the bathroom. So can, can you see what I'm saying? You can't even go out into society. What did Paul say? Now, you've got to keep going out into the world to win the lost. Mm-hmm. How are they ever going to hear about Jesus otherwise? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Just don't do it on church days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in here somewhere. You won't find it. You won't find it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard that before. Oh, pastor, if we're always in church, how are we going to win our families on, on church days? Anyway, <laughs> that's a word of the Spirit, not a word of the, of the Bible, okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, we can apply that to ourselves. I think, I think I've made that point, Sean. We can. It's not a law, though. It's not a law that says you, you automatically will do all things. You, it's, just, it's a decision. How do we get there? How do we get to this decision? How do we get to the decision that I will? How do we get to the place where we will actually say things like Paul and say, I not just can do, but I will do all things through Christ which strengthens me? How how do we get there? Well, there's there's a clue right before it. If we'll we'll take a look. In verse number... uh, Oh, it's hard to... Starting to break in here. Uh, we got a lot of good things in chapter 4. He's talking about, you know, the God of peace and all that wonderful th- uh, uh, things like that. Think on these things and uh, don't be careful or anxious for anything. But let's just break in on verse 9. It says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Mm-hmm. This is Paul talking to people who are in authority under him, right? He's talking to people that he is an authority over. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've talked a lot about authority lately. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that the Lord does anything in his kingdom outside of the lines of authority. Right. I don't believe, one, you know, there's always these seeming exceptions to the rule. Like, what happens if the king, the, the, the highest authority in the land, does something wrong? Well, God sends Nathan and says, you messed up. Mm-hmm. But he sent him with a word, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan did not tell him, like as in command, and you must do this. You know, uh, Elijah goes into Ahab's uh, court and says it's not going to rain, right? Mm-hmm. He gave him a word of the Lord. Now, there are times, like Samuel, Samuel absolutely does give a command to a king, Saul, right? And Saul disobeyed him. And it did, did it work out for Saul to disobey Samuel? No, it didn't. So we do find things at times where a prophet will literally go to a king with a word, and sometimes even a word of command. But because it's not a word of a man, it's a word from God, it needs to be obeyed. But, you know, we, we don't see that as a break of authority, because the ultimate authority is speaking. Okay? And in cases like that, it's an established ministry. I've had, you know, I've had people come up to me in the years and say, well, I'm giving you a word from the Lord. Yes, but I don't feel that in the spirit. There's times that I've had to actually tell people. Not that if any of you ever came up to me and said, I have a word from you, I'm I'm not automatically going to reject it. Hear me. Ladies, you hear me. I think you know my heart on this. If you come up to me with a word, I'm not going to reject it out of hand, but I'm going to feel after the spirit. Right? I'm going to feel after the Spirit and say, okay. And if it's a word that I, I'm not sure of, 
I am going to ask God for a confirmation. There's never been a time in my life that I've asked God for a confirmation on stuff that when it was the word of God, he didn't confirm it. I've had some pretty hard words given to me and the stuff that was very hard to receive. And so I asked the Lord, I need a confirmation on this. And the Lord confirmed it. And I've had other people come up to me and say, well, I'm giving you a word from the Lord. And I told them straight out, this is what happened last year with some of the folks that came to church here last year. There was a, a brother in the church. Hey, he was a man of God. Uh, but he kept giving me a word from God. And I kept telling him, but I am not getting confirmation on this. I'm asking for confirmation. I don't feel it in the spirit, first of all. I don't feel it. I don't feel God saying, yes, this is a word. So that's, that's one barrier. Second of all, I don't know your life. Know them that labor among you. I don't really know you. I don't know your ministry. I don't know if you're tried and true. I don't. You can tell me anything you want. But if I don't know you, so I know you folks. But th those folks I didn't know very well. And uh, he's trying to give me a direct, I'm talking higher, higher, high level word for the entire church. He's trying to put upon me, pastor, you need to do it this way specifically. And I'm like, I have to get confirmation. Absolutely. And he's looking at me like, you're stubborn. You're, you're rejecting the word of God. No, I'm not rejecting the word of God. I'm being honorable like the Bereans and finding out if it's true. According to the word in spirit, I asked for confirmation. I was like, Lord, uh, listen, this guy's pretty adamant about these things. I'm still looking for a confirmation. The Lord never gave me a confirmation. In fact, just the opposite. I got words from trusted men of God who I know, and I know their life, and I know their ministry, saying, this is not God. That's how we know, folks. When, when we're not sure in ourselves, can, come on, can anybody here attest to the fact that sometimes we just don't know? Yeah. Sure. Which way to go with things? I mean, we, we love God, we read our Bible, we pray, and we have the Holy Ghost, and we, our sins have been washed away, and still, sometimes we get into situations where we just don't know. How do we deal with that? Well, there's, there's a clue here. There's a clue. He says, the things which you have both learned, learned out of the Word, received, received from the Spirit, or maybe even... Paul heard, not necessarily just from Paul, but heard and seen in me. Someone you know, someone you know who's in authority of you, someone who has helped us establish this very church that, that, that you're in right now. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So he's saying, listen, the things that you've heard from the word and the spirit, things that have been confirmed even by other men of God. And uh, things that you've seen in my life, me doing. In other words, the things I'm practicing and not just preaching, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Follow, follow that example, right? There, the Lord's not gonna leave us in the dark, folks. No. He's not, he's not gonna allow someone to come up to us and just smack us in the head. We don't even know them. We don't know anything about them. And uh, just railroad right over us. I, I believe there's a reason why the Lord wants me to talk about this stuff tonight. I didn't plan on saying any of this tonight. Mm -hmm. But I believe there's a reason why. Because there, there is that thought in our head. Well, what about this guy that we don't know too well? He's going to come over here and steamroll us. No, he's not. Mm -hmm. I know him, and I know his ministry. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. Sure. But you know me. Amen. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know me. You know my life. You see my life. I live right upstairs. Okay? You know what, I, what I'm doing? You know what I'm not doing? Okay? You know how I live? You know how I speak? You know how I act? You know I love the Lord. You know I serve the Lord. So trust me. But most of all, trust God. Trust the God in me. And this is, this is really all Paul's saying here. It's like the things that you're seeing me do, the same things that you heard me teach, and more importantly, things you've read in the Word, more importantly, things that you've heard in the Spirit. Everybody okay? Mm -hmm. Yes. Can we hang out a little longer tonight than usual? Amen. Everybody okay? If you, if you need to go, I will understand. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, this is verse 10, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, Wherein ye have also 
were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. He says, listen, I know you guys care for me, and you care for my needs, and I, I'm in prison right now, and I'm going through some things, but I know you guys love me, and I know you guys do anything for me. But I'm not trying to lay a burden on you. I'm not trying to get you to give offerings, okay? This is what, what Paul is saying. Mm -hmm. That's why he says in the next verse, not that I speak in respect of one. In other words, my point here is not boohooing and crying, oh, I'm having a terrible time, send me money, or fruitcake. Whatever. Um, it's not that I speak in respect of one. For I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Everybody say it with me. Content. 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 Okay. Absolutely. All right. I have learned. Well, I'm taking a long time here. Everybody all right? Contentment is not something that is natural for anybody. You were not born content. When you were born, you immediately wanted to eat. You immediately wanted to get warm, get cuddled, and get fed. And when you had something in your diaper, you wanted that cleaned out. It's natural. So even babies know enough to get clean when they're dirty, right? <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Some seasoned Christians don't know that one yet. When, you, when something's wrong in your life, uh, get clean, baby. Come on, get clean. Thank you, Jesus. Babies know that instinctively right off the bat. They're not content with their life. They want, they grab. Brother Jeffers, I remember years and years ago, he used to preach things like a little baby could be laying on the ground right next to you. You could be dying right next to that baby. That baby does not care that you're dying. All it wants is its milk. He said, well, those awful little jerks. No, they're innocent, sweet little babies. It's just our nature. It's a human nature. It comes out babies. Now, when they're babies, it's cute. It's like, you know, it's like when a when a little kitten crawls up your leg. <laughs> but it's still cute, right? They're climbing for something. I think whatever they want comfort or they want whatever you're eating or whatever they want, right? Yes. And it's hurting you and you don't want to shake them off, but ha <laughs> ha that hurts. And it's cute. But when they get a little older and try it, you can knock them halfway across the room. Yeah, I've, I've done it to my cats. Yes, I have. <laughs> you cruel, cruel man. I have. It's something that's learned. Paul, Paul's letting us know right here. It's something that's learned. You have to learn contentment. It's not, it's not something you're just going to mature into. It's something you have to actively learn. You have to learn how to be content. You know, even with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is our teacher, right? Mm -hmm. The Word of God, it, you know, yes. all together teaches us these things. But we have to actively learn it. First of all, we have to hear that we should be content. Mm -hmm. Second of all, we need the road. We, we need to learn how to be content. We need to learn how to apply that to our life. And Paul says, I, I'm not, I'm not boohooing and crying for an offering here. I learned how to be content. We're going to see a few other verses along that line here. I know, in verse number 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instruct instructed. I am instructed. I had to be instructed. I didn't figure this out on my own. I had to be instructed. But now, what does Paul say to Timothy? All Scripture is given by inspiration as God breathed out to us. And it's good for instruction in righteousness, along with a few other things, right? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, right? Everybody? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, he told that to Timothy, right? Paul said, I had to be instructed. So where did he get instructed? He got instructed out of the Word of God and by the Lord God Almighty. And in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now that... That goes off on so many deep tracks. I, I'm not going to be able to talk much about it tonight. But I, I love this part because a guy like me, uh, you can ask my wife, I can sit upstairs in a rocking chair for hours if, if my daughter will leave me alone long enough. She usually doesn't. Uh, but I can sit up, in a, up there and just in a rocking chair up there. We, we got that rocking chair for the baby. But we have had a hard time getting rid of it because I like sitting up there and rocking it. You know? <laughs> and... Um, I'll just sit there and think. Mm -hmm. Just think. Just think. I'm not bragging. It's just 
Sometimes it's a weakness. I can't seem to stop. I can't seem to shut my brain off sometimes, but sometimes I think it's in, in passages like this, get me to thinking. I'm instructed to be both full and hungry. Oh. How do you do that? How can you be both full and hungry? You can have an insatiable appetite towards God and yet be full of the Holy Ghost. That's Bible. Blessed are those blessed are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Right? Okay, so we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet we're blessed if we keep being hungry. In fact, Peter goes so far as to say, desire, like newborn babes, the sincere milk of the Word. Right? Those little jerks don't care if you live or die. Uh, well, in one, in one way, emulate them. Don't go immature. Don't go baby-like. But in, the, in respect to their desire, in respect of their childlike faith, in respect... Uh, 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 of the fact that they don't lift hands in malice, right? Mm -hmm. Be like little children in those areas. But don't be like children getting tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh -huh. Right? So be like a child, but be like an adult. Mm -hmm. Be abased and be abounding. Mm -hmm. Be full and be hungry. What? Yes, it's there. So now I don't know where to stand anymore, Lord. That's exactly right. Part of the point, really, part of the point is come to my word. Come, to, get into my spirit. Go to the man of God. Amen. Yeah, thank you, bro. Go to the man of God. You got a, you got a question? You, you Go to the man of God. He's there in your life for that reason. Ask him. You know, weeks ago, we, we taught that message out of Leviticus. So you've got a spot on yourself. Go to the man of God. Let him examine you. Whoo, what a risk that is. He might, say, he might just say, get out of the camp. Well, that's not the way we do church these days, Pastor. Oh, I know. But should we have ever stopped? It's a pattern in the scripture. Okay? We should be going to the man of God and saying, there's something wrong. I, I, need, to, I need to learn how to deal with this. Okay? Anyway, I know both how to... Be abased. I know how to abound. Praise God, Paul. Good for you. Now, how do we get it? Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and hungry, to both abound and to suffer need. That was all the verses leading up to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, is, you know, a lot of the things when we use that verse, we're, we're, not, we're not even thinking about it the right way, right? This is what Paul's thinking about. What he's saying is, how do, you know, you, you might be wondering tonight, how do I learn how to be both full and hungry? To, to abound and to suffer need. Well, one thing that you've got to identify the same as Paul in is an affirmation of faith, which says, I can do this mm -hmm. through the strength of Christ. Does anybody know where the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ comes from? You know it, you just don't know you know it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. My strength. Nehemiah, right? Yes. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So where does joy come from? It's not, these are not quick, trick questions, by the way. We know them. It's just when we're presented with them, we go, oh, we feel like we're back in high school. Oh, no, the teacher asked me a question. I don't know if I know it. And most of the time we do. Well, you know, how about Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit, Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, uh, gentleness, goodness, faithful, meekness, and temperance, right? Okay? Well, joy comes from the Spirit, comes from the Holy Ghost. Jesus says, uh, I'm saying these things that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be full or filled up, Right? John says, I'm like in 1 John chapter 1, I'm writing these things so that you be full of joy. Not to be a condemnation to you. I'm writing these things that are hard to deal with sometimes. But it's for your joy. Why joy? Because joy becomes my strength. And what is strength good for? To do all the things that Jesus wants us to do in our life. To learn how to walk through this life 
and, and really just be okay with every place he's got us going, everything that we either have or don't have. Okay? We tend to want to look at someone else and what they have and say, I wish I had that. Why can't I have that? Why can't I have more of that? Well, listen, learn to be content. Okay, I can do all things. Now, I'm not going to get into, into more of these scriptures, but I do like what Paul says next. Notwithstanding, you have done well. We'll stop right there, okay? We're not done with the lesson tonight, though. Don't know nobody going nowhere. All right? Why do we get discontent? Let's, let's, let's cover that real quick. Why do we get discontent? We can look at James chapter 4 very quickly. James chapter 4. We get discontent because we want things that aren't ours. From whence come world, uh, wars, this is James chapter 4, verse 1, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your own desires that war in your members. You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. In other words, you, you don't have it because you didn't ask God for it. You ask and you don't receive it because you're asking amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Now, I, I want to turn to another passage really quick. Um, if, if you can't get there, don't worry about it. But I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm looking at verse number 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not going to go any further because you know the rest of the verse anyway, probably. But if you don't know where the reference is, that's Ephesians 6, 12. If you're taking notes or anything like that, or just for the recording. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, there's, there's something else that I, I learned years ago. Uh, Brother Jeffers was praying over me and my wife. This is years and years back, back in the 90s. We weren't married very long. And he was just, we, in fact, we were in Newburgh, uh, New York. I don't know if you remember this. But anyway, we're up front. He's praying over us. And, and the devil must have been trying to work against us. Because I remember Brother Jeffers saying, Let what God hath put together... Let no man put asunder. And then he leans down his head right in between our heads and says, and that means you. Mm. You know, well, a lot of times when we read a verse like that, we're thinking about other men. What God has put together, let no man put asunder, including yourself, including mm -hmm. those in the marriage. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, we just, we kind of needed that little information because sometimes we always think that the, the, you know, a marriage is uh, going to be attacked from the outside. Sometimes it gets attacked from the inside. The devil gets in there and tries to split us up, right? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not even, I don't even know what we're going through. I just remember him saying that. So that, that principle kind of stuck in my head. So when it says things like, love your neighbor as yourself, if you're not loving yourself, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor too well, right? Mm -hmm. right. These are just principles that we have to kind of gather in. Now, that same kind of logic can be uh, applied right here. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Well, guess what? Every one of you has flesh and blood. Yes. That means our job is not to be wrestling against ourselves. Years and years ago, we taught a message several times. Hey, if I had enough time, I'd probably teach it again tonight, but I don't. It's already after 8.30. But the idea was this. We often waste so much spiritual energy just trying to stop sinning that we wear ourselves out, weaken ourselves, and we sin anyway. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. Because we're just we're working against ourselves. We're trying to stop doing something bad by something that is bad. That would be like taking an oily cloth and trying to uh, clean up some Kool-Aid spill, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody? Well, let's, let's get rid of the oil. Let's just say uh, uh, someone had cleaned up uh, some melted chocolate all over the counter, right? Mm -hmm. And then someone grabbed that same rag and just pick up a little bit of Kool-Aid on the floor, and you're just smudging chocolate all over. Mm -hmm. How are you going to clean up something with something dirty? Mm -hmm. You can't really do it, can you? Mm -hmm. You know, all you're really going to do is just smush it around and get it all into the cracks, and you never get it out. Mm -hmm. Well, you're trying to use your flesh, your corrupted flesh, to fight your corrupted flesh. It ain't going to work. Anybody see that? 
You're using up all your strength. Your flesh is already weak. According to Jesus, the spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. Right? So, we go with the spirit. So, we, we spend sometimes so much time beating ourselves up, putting ourselves behind gates and bars. And then, when, if that, there's one little crack in that, that gate, we bust out of it and, and we're just back into the sin. Mm-hmm. Anybody, is anybody? I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking too deep, am I? No. But, you know, this is what happens. So, when Paul says things like, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He said, you're not, you're not supposed to be wrestling against yourself either. You're supposed, to be able, uh, you're supposed to be wrestling by the Spirit against the spirits. Amen. Right? You just, you just kill the flesh. You don't wrestle with it, you kill it. Amen. Anybody remember the story where Jacob was wrestling with the Lord? Uh-huh. <laughs> he wasn't wrestling with the devil. He wasn't even wrestling with himself. He was wrestling with God. And he got a name change. We're going to talk about Jacob. Well, I'm going to get into that in just a couple of minutes. But rem- remember, James chapter 4 says, listen, where do all these wrestlings come from? They come from our desires. Mm-hmm. Says, Why don't you have? Because you're not really asking God. Well, we're, we're not going to ask God for evil things because we know that God's not going to give them to us. And then sometimes when we just try to take that stand and face that blab it and grab it, name it and claim it kind of doctrine, prosperity stuff, say, in the name of Jesus, I claim a red Ferrari right now in the name of Jesus. Okay, well, go down to the Ferrari dealership and just pick your car and ask for the keys and drive it up the lot. See if you get away with it. All right? I think there's a Ferrari dealership down up in Norwood, Route 1, somewhere up there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might go up to the Lexus dealership and do that. <laughs> I've always wanted a Lexus. Anybody got a few extra bucks that you want to do something nice for, for my birthday next year? Give me a Lexus. I'm only halfway kidding. <laughs> uh, no, we're talking about contentment. We're talking about contentment here. All right. I'll, uh, I'll I'll stay with my I'll stay with my how old's our van now? Yeah. Eighteen year old van. I'll stay with my eighteen, almost nineteen year old van for now. Okay. Well, uh, that's uh, that's what we're content with. It's it's serviceable still in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So anyway, James, we're talking about you know wrestling. We're, sometimes when we try to just say I'm gonna uh, in the name of Jesus, I'm just gonna claim my blessing, and you know, but you're asking amiss if God didn't say claim it. If, if God didn't say, son, daughter, I'm giving this to you. If he says he's giving it to you, then claim it. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't say, you can't just make, that's not faith. That's not faith at all. Faith is not saying, God, I believe you're going to do what I want. Faith is, when we hear from God, we say, I believe that. Oh, right. And I claim that. Yeah. It's about putting down our flesh, killing the flesh. Mm-hmm. All right? Okay. Amen. Yeah. Um, what's next? Where am I going after this? Somebody tell me. I don't know, Pastor. <laughs> Let's pray real hard. Uh, Jacob. Let's pray. Yeah, we're going to go to Jacob. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Before we go to Jacob, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to do this as quick as I can because I do want to talk a little bit about Jacob before we leave. And yes, son, I know what time it is. <laughs> Because I know she thinks, does he know what time? Yeah, I know. Matthew 28, uh, Matthew, uh, not 28, Matthew 6, verse 28. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. They're not going to the, the loom every day, right? And yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God clothed the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall you not... He not much more clothed you. Oh, you little faith. So again, this comes down to contentment, comes down to faith. Just like, just like a lot of things, comes down to faith. What are you going to believe? Okay? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or whether, uh, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's a good thing, because I'm a Gentile. I guess I'm covered. Um... It's okay for me to think like that, I guess, right? I don't think that's what he's saying, though. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of, uh, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It's a promise. Mm -hmm. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient of the day is the evil thereof. And we all know the scriptures. I'm going to read a couple more verses. First Timothy 6. First Timothy 6. As quick as I can get there, I'm going to read it. First Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse number 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Mm -hmm. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, he, he goes on in those veins. But what he's really talking about is, hey, be content. Be content. He never promised us that we'd have to live in a cardboard box. But he also never promised us untold wealth and riches either. Mm -hmm. He knows what we have need of. He knows what we can handle. Okay? Amen. If, uh, if you have a great intelligence, don't trust in it. If you don't feel like you have great intelligence, be content with what God's given you. See, this doesn't just ha have to do with like money and monetary things. It's across the board. If you don't feel like you've got a great education, be content. If you feel like you have a great education, be content. What if you have a great education, but you don't have a great job that matches your great education? Be content. Be content that God's the ruler of your life. Amen. It doesn't mean don't do anything. And Paul went so far as in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 was saying, Hey, you married folks? Don't seek to be loose. Folks that aren't married, don't seek a wife. Huh? Yeah, read it. First Corinthians chapter 7. Now, what, what he's saying is, he's not saying that, well, at the time of this writing, if you're married, then you made it to uh, you, you made it under the wire, right? And all you guys, you poor slubs that aren't married, <laughs> too, too bad. No, he's not saying that. All he's saying is, let God give you your wife or your husband. Right. Stop seeking it and trust God's going to give you the right one in the right time. Yeah, but I really want one right now. Well, does God want you to have one right now? Mm -hmm. it, it's across the board. It's across the board. So let, let, me, let me go to a couple, couple of more scriptures here. <laughs> Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Everybody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. It'll wake you up a little bit. Praise God. I know we work hard and we need to go home and we need to go to bed. I get it. And, uh, but if you really have to go, you can go. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's good enough that you have Jesus. Amen. That's what he's saying. It's good enough that you have Jesus. Amen. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my help, helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's a quote out of the Old Testament. Okay, now we're going to go to Genesis 28, okay? We're going to end off with this. Genesis 28, time we got. Can we hang out for a little while longer while we go over this, this passage? Okay, thank you, Brother Tim. The rest of you may go. Um, Genesis 28. Verse number 10. And Jacob went from Beersheba, or Beersheba, and went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows and lay, lay down in that place to sleep. Now, personally, I think there's a lot more going on here in this passage than some guy camping out in the wilderness and... He doesn't have anything in his pack soft enough to lay his head on, so he takes a rock for a pillow. Okay? Now, I think, this is my opinion, uh, but I think there's probably a lot more going on than some guy just laying his head on a rock. Okay? Because those rocks come into play a little later. All right? So just, I don't have enough time to explore all this. It's getting too late. Uh, call me up tomorrow and we'll have a Bible study, okay? Anyway, we can put it on a, 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 a Zoom. 
meeting, all right? I'll get my wife to sell on. Anyway, but uh, he went down to sleep, verse number 12, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, or a ladder or stairway, some, some conveyance that set upon the earth, okay? It was rooted in the earth, and, at, and the top of it reached to the heaven. Uh, and so in a way, he can see the top of it, but it's reaching towards the heaven, but it's kind of like, it's also in the Hebrew, it means it's in the heavens, and it's kind of beyond the heavens, so, but he can, he can recognize it. It's, it's, well, the things of the spirit are always like that. It's hard to define definitely, but bottom line, Jacob's dreaming. Now, remember, this is a dream. Okay, it's not like he's seeing this like he's awake. He puts his head on the stone and he has a dream. Well, it's because he's got a crick in his neck and some weird things are going on, right? No, nope. uh, he's he's in a place. He's in a sacred place, and uh, he, he may not have known it, but the Lord led him there at that point. He's having a dream now, and he sees this this stairway or ladder, this conveyance, and it's setting down upon the earth. In other words, this is established. The earth, it's finite, it's, it's definite. I can see where it's sitting on the earth. And the top of it, though, is kind of stretching out into the heavens. Uh, and if you read it in the Hebrew, you, you understand it's less defined at the top. We're not really sure where it's coming from. But what, I am sure, what he is sure about, this is at the top of heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. So they're coming and going. Now, is, is, just, is this for Jacob's benefit alone? How many angels does he need? No, I think what we're seeing, and in fact I know what we're seeing because it gets defined in a couple of verses, is this is a portal. This is a thin spot. Okay, this is a place of thinness between uh, our realm and the heavenly realms. It's easy to get over onto that other side. There are places on the earth and by the way, you can make places on the earth mm -hmm. like that. I'll give you a little hint. This is one of them. Mm -hmm. We've been for here for almost 40 years making a thin spot in the, in, in the veil between the heavens. That's why when we get into here, it's easy for us to get into the spirit. Easier than it is on your job place. Easier than it is sometimes even in your own home. But I'll give you another little clue. Your homes should be portals to heaven. There, it should be what Brother Good calls an angel portal, where angels are coming and going. It's a, it's a place where angels from God can just move back and forth easily. But believe me, that's something you want in your life. You know, So we're seeing there's a spot here. Jacob's prayer didn't do this. Maybe Abraham's prayer did. Because if you read about the life of Abraham, he did visit Bethel. He did spend a little time there, okay? We won't go into that right now, but so maybe Abraham's prayer and activity there at this place made a thin spot? Now we're getting to the weird, wild, mystical stuff right here. I, I know. But I'm, so I'm going to stop right there and just read the word. Dream, behold, this is what he sees. And verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it. You could read that same verse in a lot of different translations. It's, and you find out it's hard to define what that particular preposition in Hebrew really means. Because it, it can mean above. It can mean at the top of it. It can, it can mean more ambiguous things. But bottom line, there was somewhere at the less defined top of this conveyance, the Lord is standing. All right? At, so the portal is definitely placed right here at Bethel, the, the, the bottom of it. But going up into the top, it's not, it's, it's a little fuzzy up there. But we can, we can see God up there. We, we, know, we know God's up there, and there's angels coming and going. And as they get close to the earth, they get more defined. And as they get further away from the earth, they get less defined. It's kind of like what's being translated here, okay? Everybody cool so far? You got eight minutes. Well, not really. I've already gone this late, so who cares about the time? Anyway, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land whereupon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed. 
And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all, everybody say all. All. All the families of the earth be blessed. Just because you're here occupying this land. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15, And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places where thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. So again, the Lord is telling Jacob. He's giving him a, a dream, but it's a supernatural experience. One of the things he's saying here is, I've got a destiny for you. I've got a destiny for this land. And you have a destiny in this land. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Didn't we just read that? Be content. Be content with the fact that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, right? Well, I think this is stories like this is where Paul or the writer of Hebrews starts getting these pieces of information. Reading these Old Testament stories, right? Now, it's, it's going to come clear in just a minute. And uh, verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Well, we've all been there. The Lord was in something, and we didn't have any clue until afterwards. Whoa, that was the hand of God. Uh, why did I know that before? Well, don't waste any time beating yourself up. Just move on and praise God. Amen. Thank God for it. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate or portal to heaven. That's some lofty stuff right there. Verse 18. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured out uh, poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God, and the, and the name of the city was called Luz, or Luz at the first, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God, now listen to this closely. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. Anybody see a pattern forming here? Mm -hmm. Food and raiment. If you have food and raiment, be content. Mm -hmm. Where did Paul get those ideas from? Mm -hmm. Right here, I think. He's Jacob's there in this supernatural, miraculous waking out of this. It's like, oh, this is a dreadful place. In other words, what he's saying is this is somewhere holy. I didn't even know it. I, I just laid down. He literally took the stone as if it was itself a holy thing. And he, he's, apparently he set up uh, an altar. He poured oil on the altar. He consecrated that place. He called it. He named it Bethel. And he said, well, how did, how did Abraham get to Bethel before? It was Bethel. Oh. He was at that place before. But it was apparently Jacob that actually named it. This is the house of God. Well, there's no, no tent here. There's no tabernacle here. There's no church building here. There's no mosque, synagogue, no, nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Except for pile stones. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't need anything else. You don't even need the pile of stones. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that God said, this is a thin spot. Someone's been praying here. Mm -hmm. So I'm making it holy. So there's people been praying here for a lot of years. Amen? Mm -hmm. Praise God. But notice what Jacob says. He vowed about saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Amen. Just, just give me enough food. Just give me enough clothes. When the people were in the, uh, the wilderness, years after Jacob, they had food from heaven, water from the rock, and their clothes didn't wear out. Amen. And God led them from the place they were to the place that they were going. Verse 22, And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tent unto thee. In other words, I'm going to live my life for you in every way. Whatever you give me, besides food and raiment, and probably even including that, but... Whatever you give you, whatever you give me, I'm going to give back to you. Basically, everything's going to be for you from here on out. It's not really a message about tithing. It's just a message of my life is yours. Brother Douglas told us years ago, he said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. 
Just make sure I got enough money to do it. You know? Just make sure I have the resources to do it. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. The guy flew all over the world. Yeah. Traveled all over the United States in a car. Mm -hmm. he, he didn't care. He'd drive from here to Louisiana by himself in a car. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter. As long, hey, Lord, as long as you give me the money, mm -hmm. as long as you give me the resources, I'll do anything, go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Stand with me. Now, contentment. Learning to be content. You have to learn it. You have to receive it by faith. You have to know that you need it. And it comes from this. It comes from, Lord, I'll do anything for you. It comes from a commitment to him. Uh, you're my God. I know that you'll never leave me or forsake me. Just do, do, these, do these things. Even in the disciples' prayer, he said, give me this day my daily bread. Right? Just give me what I need to get through this day. And I will seek you first. I'll seek your righteousness. I'll seek your... Your, your, your kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we love you tonight. Thank you for giving us the energy and the attention span to go on tonight. We ask that you would reward us tonight with good rest, rest and, and energy and virtue returning into us and strength for tomorrow's day. I'm asking you to place a reward upon your people for toughing it out and hanging out tonight with us. But Lord God, teach us. Instruct our hearts like you instruct Paul. Instruct us to be content. Hallelujah, Lord God. So that we can be like Jacob and go on to great wealth in you. Not natural wealth. We're not even asking for that. But wealth in the Holy Ghost. Wealth in revelation. Wealth in the power of God coming through us to help others find you, Lord Jesus. Come on, can we, uh, can we just praise the Lord here tonight? Thank you, Jesus.